Mother's Day. It's a great Sunday at Calvary Baptist Church. I went out to eat with an older friend one evening, and over dinner, we began to talk about a godly friend between us who was about 10 years older. And he looked at me and he said, Eric, to be with him is like being with one of the fathers. Those pace-setting, older, faithful saints who are out in front of us, upon whose shoulders we stand and we walk forward. David Graham is one of those for Calvary Baptist Church. He came here in the early 60s with Carol, and God got a hold of his heart, and we were really a slingshot to send him out into a lifetime of ministry that he has had in faithfulness to our Lord. You know, it's getting more rare to find a man who later in life is without scandal. We certainly find that in David and certainly with Carol. God be praised. This morning, David is preaching. It's Father's Day. I'm pleased that he is here. I'm also announcing this morning what many of you are aware of, that as David has been tapering down in his duties here as our senior associate, on June the 30th, he will end his tenure as a paid senior associate who comes in and serves one day a week. You know David, he'll still be using the phone and using his gifts and interacting with people. But to celebrate this 10 years in, we look forward to a reception that is going to take place on July the 10th after the 1030 service, kind of a shake hand reception gathering on our way out into the afternoon. There's actually a rumor that our sister Carol will be there for that uh, uh, gathering, and I know you'll want to greet her. And as we anticipate this, it is fitting and right for us to receive a love offering that just caps off and puts a bow on this package of service unto our Lord. And so I'm announcing today that beginning on the 26th of June and through uh, the first two Sundays in July, we'll be receiving this love offering. You can designate your gifts. Uh, the grams and we'll receive that but I praise the Lord for uh, a faithful man who's a pace setter has touched so many lives here he will be preaching the Word of God this morning and I'm glad that he's here and I'm glad you're here too thank you Eric Mounts he is a friend he and I pastored about 10 miles apart for several years, about 10 years, while he was at Southgate Baptist Church on the south side of Springfield, and I was in Cedarville, Ohio, pastoring. So we've been friends for a long time. Ian, you're going to find a place to park there, aren't you, pal? I love that guy. Carol and I are so grateful today also, along with the privilege of being here just to preach and Eric inviting me to do that while they're on vacation. Uh, we both are grateful for all the memories that God has given us here. I'm going to reflect on that just a little bit, if, you, if I may. The first time I ever spoke from this platform was uh, in 1976, January the 4th, 1976. That's a long time ago. And since that time, I've had that privilege several times, and... Um, now that I'm 80 years old, I have an excuse to do anything wrong that I happen to do today. If we go for two hours, you just say he was 80 years old. 
Nevertheless, when I was younger, I didn't have any excuses. So uh, youth pastors tend to get in a little bit of trouble. That's why Jason Walsh is watching out for me here today. Um, we, Carol and I are just full of Thanksgiving. Yes, we came here in 1961 uh, from North Carolina, where my dad was a pastor in a little country church. And uh, the reason I came to Northern Kentucky was to get away from my mom and dad and a little country church and church people. Now, how do you like that? That sounds like a prodigal. That's what I was. Uh, and I was, I, I had left home out of high school and had gone to Hartford, Connecticut to study airline work and had landed in Cincinnati afterwards because I like the Cincinnati Reds. Isn't that something? Uh, my goodness. Still like the Reds, no matter what. <laughs> and uh, that's actually how I chose Cincinnati. And came here and went to Lunkin Airport to go to work for an airline and found out there were no air airlines at Lunkin Airport. That's how little I knew about the area. Uh, and then I was not looking for a church. But soon, as a boy at eight years old had gotten saved in my home after my dad had gotten saved when I was six. And soon I realized, boy, had I better find a church in a hurry. This bunch out here at Greater Cincinnati Airport are all wild. And uh, there was very little encouragement for a fellow who wanted to live for the Lord. I'd visited a church in Erlanger, visited a church in Ellesmere, visited a church in Fort Mitchell, and said, eh, same old, same old. I was a little bit negative. Those of us who grew up in the 1960s, some of you did, had a spirit of, we had a little bit of a pushback, ideological spirit. And uh, I was that. I wasn't, I wasn't nice to churches. And so I wrote to my mom and dad and said, I can't find a church up here. <laughs> and dad says, there's a man by the name of D.B. Eastep who is on the board of Piedmont Bible College. My dad had gotten saved when he was uh, 29 years old. Dad had been a wicked man, stole everything he could steal and tried to kill a few people he didn't like And uh, in West Virginia. Dad had a 10th grade education. Mom had an 8th grade education. Dad took his GED and went to Piedmont Bible College. And at Piedmont Bible College, he connected, and we all have stories, don't we? He connected with DBE Step from Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. And Dr. E. Step was on that board. Dad says, You ought to find that church. This is an impossible church to find if you don't have directions and you get on Southern. Do you know you can't get across from Southern? to Southern on this side of the railroad tracks? It is impossible if you don't know, unless you know how to go under that railroad track over there. I didn't know, I, I almost gave up. But on Sunday morning I showed up because pastor's kids learn to avoid people. Don't get caught if you're just visiting. And so I came late, intentionally late, so that nobody would talk to me and I could get in and get out and do whatever I wanted to do. Uh, and I did that other building over there, and I came late. All churches start start their services, all Baptist churches, at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I showed up at 11 o'clock. You know what? They were halfway through. They started at 10:30. We still start at 10:30 here, and probably uh, it doesn't matter what. Calvary's going to start at 10:30, no matter what. They still will. But I showed up at 10:30, and I was late. I was welcomed, a single fella, I want to say that to you today because I want to play on that a little bit, a single guy, 19 years old, showing up in church, 
negative towards church, and I got incredibly crunched by people as soon as that service was over with. Would not let me out the door. And a little bit Southern Baptist-like stuff because they funneled you right out one door. You, could only, you couldn't escape any other way. And so they had me cornered, and so they did. And the next Sunday, guess what I did? Now, if you're single here, if you're young, if you've shown up today, I hope Calvary has welcomed you that way. They did that to me. I showed up again this next Sunday. And if you're working for an airline, they happen to work on Sunday, so you don't have a lot of free days. And when you do show up, uh, it's seldom you get back-to-back. But I got back-to-back Sundays. I showed up the next Sunday, came in that door early enough to go to Sunday school. Then I knew I'd get caught in Sunday school. And a big old tall guy by the name of Joe Farrell welcomed me over here. And Joe Farrell said, "You, <clears throat> hey, bud, you look like you're about my age. And uh, I said, well, maybe. Uh, Joe was two or three years older than I was, but he said, you, you're single. We have a single men's class down there. Took me in, took me to the class, and there was Joe Farrell. Joe, Joe is with the Lord. There was John Christopher. John Christopher is with the Lord. There was Archie Kidd. Archie Kidd is with the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? At 80 years old, I'm still standing here <laughs> by the grace of God, by the grace of God. But because of some people who included David Graham, what a difference Calvary has made in our lives. So we were here a couple years and uh, got coached and counseled. And once I brought my sweet wife in here, we married her at 19 years old back in North Carolina and brought her here. And immediately you swallowed us up. Uh, kindness, sweetness, graciousness, spirit. My goodness, oh, we'll always remember it that way. And uh, after a couple years, I felt, eh. I'm not doing the right thing. Off I went to college, Christian college. And in 1976, I ended up back here. And I spoke on that Sunday in January. And then July 4th, first Sunday here as a family, July 4th, 1976, David Graham, Carol Graham, and Allison Graham Benefield, six years old, and Robin, eight years old, showed up. And we moved in over here, 3708 to Bats, right across the street. And they've torn our house down and putting a... a Student ministry, student, what, what, what are we calling it? Uh, a, a student ministry house over there building, and we're erecting the student center. <clears throat> they don't call them youth anymore, you know. We've gotten, so we're, we were, I was a youth pastor. There's no such thing as a youth pastor anymore. So now it's a student center, student center for Calvary. Praise God. And here I stand today on Father's Day. One year ago today, was on this Father's Day, a year ago, I spoke in Sinks Grove, West Virginia, where I was born, on Father's Day. I did that because the first church I ever attended was Sinks Grove Baptist Church when I was six years old, when my dad became a Christian in 1948. It'll be set. That was in July when Dad got saved, and that, it'll be 74 years. Now, hear me today. This is Father's Day, and I'm going to build a message with a title assigned by Pastor Eric. I'm going to build a message around what God has done for us. You have a story. In 19, in, in 1948, David Graham went to church. Do not remember ever going before. And uh, I told that story of my dad in, in that church last, last year. 
My dad's salvation changed the entire course of our lives. We would still be where we were in West Virginia. I guess. But dad became a Christian. Four years after that, he took his GED and headed off to Piedmont Bible College in Winston-Salem with his kids and his wife. And off we went for a completely new experience. And here I am today because of a dad getting saved. Now for all of us today, I'm going to make sure I apply this message to all of us. But to those of you who are dads, what a difference you will make if you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just on you but on your family, on your neighborhood, on your community, on your workplace. For all of you here today, if you follow the character traits of the man Joseph in the New Testament, what you're going to find is that it applies to all of us, not just fathers. You change the course of people by being the person that God would have you to be in light of God's word. So may I do this to us as I set myself here to lead the way a bit? May I encourage you to not let this be my brother and my sister and my kids and my aunts and my uncles, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need. And let the word of God be applied to you today. Accept it and just say, okay, Lord, that's me. That's me. And uh, I may choose even at the end to say, is there somebody that would say, please pray for me. There are some changes that need to be made in my life. It needs to start from the Lord. In light of that, let's bow our heads together and let's, uh, let's lift our voices and our thoughts to the Lord. Father, here we are. In this place, with the name Calvary Baptist Church, it's a gathering of people here today. It has nothing to do with this building nor the location. But it's a gathering of people who are here with who we are and what you've made us to be. And circumstances in our lives, all different to every one of us with a different story. Young, old, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth what I say, how I say it, and the meditations of not just my heart, but every heart here today as people think on this, consider what we say. Consider your word. Consider how the Spirit of God is speaking to them. Oh, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you note a verse. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. There is a verse with God speaking. Look what God says. Isaiah records it for us. Hear, O heavens, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. What? Our Heavenly Father has children and that Old Testament, you follow it. 
And God, the father, couldn't control his kids, his family, to the degree that they wouldn't rebel? Now, wait a minute. God's children have rebelled, and you and I know they have too, because we're part of that group too. And there's rebellion in families, and there are many families who feel the pain of rebellious family members. It may be a rebelling father. And some may say, oh, it's my fault that my... No, no, no. God isn't taking the blame here. But it is certainly foundational for us as we try to broaden this and not let people come on Father's Day and feel what awful pain I feel. Yes, when fathers are going on to be with the Lord and there's separation, yes, there is. When, when there's painful experiences, yes, there is pain. But today we want to talk about then what a godly father brings to a Christian home. We want to talk about it from God's word. You can start to turn with me here to the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, because that's where we're going to land. But we aren't looking for what a father brings to a home. I assure you there are some wonderful fathers in our circle of friends who aren't followers of Christ. They do some wonderful things. In fact, they put some Christian folks to shame at times. But what we're looking for is not just a father doing the best he can with his home. We are looking for fathers who are Christian and Christian based upon their walk with God. We mentioned Marvin Price here a while ago. Marvin Price, one of those Marines. He is proud that he was a Marine. If you know Marvin Price, he will tell you I'm proud to be a Marine. I'm proud to be retired. He can still get in his uniform, and he'll wear it once in a while. Uh, the Marine motto was, we're looking for a few good men. When Joseph was chosen by our Heavenly Father, of all the men in the world, God was looking for only one good man to be the foster father of his son, Jesus. Think on that for a second. Just one. Not a few, just one. How do we measure up to Joseph? The more I have studied Joseph for this message, <laughs> the longer my notes got. So I can't believe this. So I've tossed some of the 40 pages that I wrote out for that day. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to get the condensed take. What was God looking for? What is it? What does a God and a Father bring? Values. It's the values. What kind of values? Biblical values. We all have values. But biblical values. As opposed to where we live today and would have been then too, cultural values. Culture can drive one's values, and to a degree, culture does drive our values. We live in this modern day, and we have certain things that are important to us, so to a degree, it does. But what we want and what God was looking for was for a man who had biblical values. So let's let God 
use this for all of us to take a glimpse into our lives. Let's not limit this just to fathers, but to all of us. But let's study a father today. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to begin. Let me read just one verse to start with. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, oh, there's a problem here from the very get-go in this for poor Joseph. The Jewish culture worked like this. Again, culture. Oftentimes, a family over here take their son and say, we like this family over here, and they have a, little, they have a girl that we like, and, and we want, we're going to talk to that family and if we can get agreement, we're going to say, you're going to marry her. And oftentimes that would happen before the kids even knew it was happening. And so that was called an engagement. It was between the families, the parents. Later on, as that thing began to grow and they got older, then there became what they called a betrothal. That was a contract. That was an agreement. They are getting married, and usually within the year they would get married. But they then had engagement, betrothal, and marriage. What we have here is a betrothal to Joseph before they came together. She is found to be with the Holy Spirit. And the very next verse says, in her husband Joseph. So it was that strong. So in order for that to ever to be broken up, then we're going to have to have a divorce. The word would have been used, a divorce from the betrothal time rather than the marriage time. As we take this and walk through this, so enters this man, Joseph. Pastor said to me, David, you, you're welcome to, to just make this a topical message and pick certain portions of Scripture in different places to do what it says here what a godly father brings to a Christian home to, to do that. But as I studied, I said, no, I'm going to just stay with Joseph. And so let's take the first biblical value. It's in the next verse. Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, during this betrothal, being a just man. Now that's where I'm going to build this first point. Being a just man. Here's the first value. This will change a Christian home. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Oh my goodness, this girl he thought was so good and his family did too. Is expecting a child uh, outside of wedlock relationships. He resolved to divorce her quietly. We must value godly conduct. You do understand, this is the Jewish culture. You do understand that Stephen was stoned and was permitted to be stoned, and you do understand that that Jewish religion at that point, that Jewish culture, meant that Mary should be stoned killed. And Joseph, if you're the guilty party, you also should be stoned. Now, it wasn't quite to the degree and practiced quite as much then as it would have been 
earlier in the Old Testament. But one's real self is going to show here. This man immediately starts to say, being a just man. Being a, some of your translations would say being a righteous man. Or some may even say godly. Some of your more modern translations, godly person. Being a just or right. What is that? Being like God. I want to be like God. Joseph did that. Being a just, righteous, slash godly man. What is godliness? So then, okay, let, there's a great verse in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, 6. Here it is, middle of this verse. Look at that verse. God is a God merciful. That's Joseph. Gracious. That's Joseph. Slow to anger. That's Joseph. There's no sign that he got angry about all this. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. He was abounding. And faithfulness. Oh my. That's his behavior at this awful thing that he has discovered. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. That is, when you take a yoke upon you, that would be submission. You're bound by the yoke. Take my yoke upon you with submission upon you and learn from me. We are to learn from the scriptures. And here we are learning from the Lord Jesus, but we're learning here today from the scriptures. Learn from me. For I am, then he says, I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is God. So here's another description of God, gentle and lowly. And Joseph's conduct can easily be summarized with these two words, gentle and lowly. Gentle would mean, implies mercy, one with mercy, one with self-restraint. Lowly would mean meekness. And humility, lowly. Here's this man, Joseph, saying, okay, I, I, uh, I want to do the best I can in this crazy situation I just now found myself in. Now, I want to say this. The, the word meekness, and the first person I ever heard to give this to me was a Warren Wearsby. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Hear that? If you're lowly and humble, Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. On the other side of that is one who's just plain mean. Okay, so something happens like this, and he just flat blows up. He's mean. He's angry. He's upset. He's cursing. He goes out and gets soaked, and he, he, he's, he's abusive. He's, he's everything bad you can think of. He's just a plain mean person over issues like this. Now, meekness is not weakness, it is strength under control. Meanness is weakness, it is strength out of control. Contrast the two, meanness is weakness, it is strength out of control. So we have, we have then a man who caught in the middle. Here he is, he responds with conduct that is godly. What an incredible value to have. How do you respond under pressure? How do you respond when you've been mistreated? How do you respond when you think something is really wrong? 
How do you respond when you're, mis when you're misunderstood? How do you respond? With godly conduct or your own way? Now, you can see this isn't just for fathers. It's awful for fathers. We live in what has been called a fatherless age, a fatherless generation, because fathers have gone completely so many the state of Texas and Georgia, I, I studied loads of statistics for this, and Texas and Georgia have done some studies, and they both landed at the same place. 95% of those incarcerated in those two states grew up fatherless. Wow. Suicide of young people are almost, it just the percentage is unbelievable, fatherless. Yes, it's for fathers, but this is for all of us. Fathers. Secondly, let's look at another. Let's look at a couple more verses. I want to tell you we must value God's word. This book here that I have, and that some of you have on your laps, and some of you have it in phones, but this book here, I have got to place value in what's in this book. Watch what happened now to Joseph. Now here he here he is. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Uh-oh, you're in trouble, bud, because the community and culture is not going to like that. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, the, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Reference to the Old Testament. This is a scripture that... Joseph had. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. And this is Matthew inserting this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph. He believed God had spoken. I'm not there to explain all that. I'm, I doubt if he'd had other dreams, but he, I think it rests heavily upon the way that Verse 20 begins, but as he considered these things, as he said, what in the world, God, please show me. I am, I am totally shocked by what's happened to Mary. Dear God, as he considered these things, he went to sleep. And God spoke to him so clearly that he realized that God had spoken. Not the first time, it's not the last time God's going to do that with Joseph. Joseph was just an ordinary man. There's a verse in Acts chapter 4 that says, When the council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common, or just plain ordinary men, they were astonished. Joseph was just an ordinary tradesman. He was an artisan. It says carpenter. The word that is used there could be carpenter. But it could be a handyman, a man who could do about anything about the house, a man who showed up in, com in the community and just calling, and he would come do it. And here's this ordinary tradesman, Joseph. who listen to God's word. Most of us are just ordinary people. But we are who we are by the grace of God. 
Most of you are here because you believe God's word and you've come to a church that the word of God is important here. We value the word of God. You are here probably because you value the word of God. But thirdly, there's more than just valuing the word of God. We must value obedience to God's word. Look at verse 24. As we come down through there, get to verse 24, and here's what it says. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And it meant, bud, you are a scoundrel. You are to be scorned. You should be shipped out of our community. You are no good. You're worthless. Shame, shame on you. You're shamed. That's what it meant. You know what he did? He obeyed God's word. Now, Jesus had some brothers and sisters, and uh, one of them is James, who wrote the book of James. So Joseph did a pretty good job with some more of his kids. James wrote scripture. Jude is another one, and he wrote some scripture. James wrote later on, Joseph's brother, I mean, Jesus' brother, Joseph's son, James, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Shame on you, you know it, and you're not obeying it. Ugh, that taps our hearts. Am I obedient to what I know? I've sat in church here. I've gone to church. I've gone to a Bible school class. I've, gone, I've been a little child. I, I've memorized. I've gone to I know it, but are you doers? That's the question. Look at the verse. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife no matter the cost. He was going to obey God's word no matter the cost. Question, are we willing to obey God no matter the cost? I know that that's tough. But you can't just be hearers of this and say, I know what it says, and I'm sailing along, and God's my Savior. Oh, are you a doer? Number four, we must value the lives of children from conception. You cannot miss this here. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 20. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and Joseph says, I'm going to value that conception. From the time he understood Mary's situation, even if scorned, he was going to place value. We're not going to dodge the bullet. Mary was expecting until the birth in a stable in Bethlehem, and she gave birth in a stable in Bethlehem. Quite a ways from where they were. Now what we have to do is let God's word be the driving force behind our values. Do you know what God's word says? Culture cannot be the force driving our values. Listen to me also say this. Nor can we force our biblical values on culture. Nope. There's a verse that has stood out to me for years, and I, I've just 
I've used it so many times. 1 Corinthians 2.14, when I get frustrated with someone, shame on me, David. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, David, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I set my values based on God's word and stand by that. But I cannot expect others to believe everything I believe if they have no knowledge and aren't spiritually inclined. Number five, we must value our families by protecting and providing for them. You turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 of Matthew and look at verse 13 and see how it begins. Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem and they've stayed there and the wise men have come and have brought gifts of frankincense and myrrh and gold. And when they left, look at verse 13, chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee. Run from here. Go to Egypt <clears throat> and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for your child to destroy your child. He's going to kill all the kids two years old and under. And he's for only one reason. This is how mean that man was. Only one reason to kill one child, yours. Run. You know, do you know what Joseph did? I'm not going to read the rest of it. You know what he did? He packed things up and during the night escaped so they wouldn't get caught. What a man that says, I'm going to do everything I can to provide and protect my family. I'm, I'm out of here. You know, he stayed in Egypt now long enough, stayed in Egypt long enough for Herod to die. And then he got another dream, and the dream says, you go back home. So he headed back and went back to, and said he was going to a certain place. Uh-uh, Herod's son is ruling there. You can't go there either. You've got to move to Nazareth. To stay away from this guy. I love that the man was listening and sensing God's leading him to protect and provide for his family. How did he provide? Where did this, this man with a trade live in? How could he afford to live in Egypt? Frankincense, myrrh, and gold is most likely. Does God take care of us? Trust him. Will God take care? Trust him. There's another way that very possibly because if he was a carpenter, a handyman, he had a trade. That trade is needed wherever he went. Trust him. Let God lead you. So we must value our families by protecting and providing for them. And then number six, we must value quality time with our families. I don't want to miss this for us. Mark. Uh, um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter? Well, how about that? He's a carpenter's son in Matthew's record, and he's a carpenter when Mark records it. <clears throat> he's both. The son of Mary, that, that verse goes ahead and says, Is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, and and, his, and the brother of James, and he's the brother of Joseph, and the brother of Judas, and Simon, a lot of boys in that family, 
And are not his sisters here with us? So plural sisters, that's a big family, Joseph and Mary's family. James and Jude both writing scripture. Do you know for a young man to grow up and be a carpenter or a tradesman just like his daddy, they had to spend time together. And dad, Joseph, taught Jesus the trade. And they spent lots of time together. We, I'm going to park this with dads a little bit, but with all of us, we must spend time together with those who are going to make a difference in their lives. So dads, if you have shortchanged your children, shortchanged your spouse, you have done it your way and left them out, you are not doing it God's way. God would have us spend time with them. Let me say to you, to a church, when I'm a single fella, do you know that half the church in, gen in general today is single? When a single person walks and crosses that threshold out there, or this threshold out here, or out here, and they cross into this church, Calvary Baptist Church needs to wrap their arms around them because they need that warmth of somebody caring and spending time with them. There are those who actually find people like that and invite them out for a meal for the day. Say, Ken, we're going out to lunch. You want to go with us? I just met you. Don't shortchange them. The Bible way is to spend quality time. If you just study what Jesus did with those disciples, I promise you it was quality time with the disciples too. Follow the scriptures, and there we will find God laying out the way for us to make a difference. Let me give you the final one. We must value worship together with the families. It's in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, verse 42, now, the, now his parents, this is of Jesus, now his parents, Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. They worshiped together. God bless us, all of you, as you've come to do that today. I see families sitting out here together. Good for you. Can't always do that. For sure, we can't always do that. My mother never forgave me for moving to Kentucky from North Carolina. But that's all right. We can't always do that. But the spirit here is go together. Worship together. Listen to the same thing that's said. Talk about it after it's said. Learn the songs together. When he was a little baby, he was taken to the temple also. If we follow the account of Joseph taking care of his family, he took them regularly as that Jewish culture expected him to do. He followed them. As a dad, I see Jay Faulkner over here. As a dad living here, and Jay Faulkner 
Randy and Connie lived over there on that corner, and we grew up together. We talked about these things. Randy Faulkner, David Graham, Galen Call, Bob Montgomery, we talked about these things. And Jay and I would remember how that our dads would include us in things. I took my girls to visit people who had needs when they could go with me. When I got here, Galen Call said, David Graham, you're also coaching soccer at the Christian school. I said, I am. I thought I was a youth pastor at the church. He said, no, no, no. Yeah, that's part of being a youth pastor now that you're here. So I coached soccer at the Christian school. And some of you guys are in here who <laughs> played and parents too who know about that. Uh, my girls were young. They thought the world was just going to celebrate everything if they got to ride in that bus with that ball team. My ball team needed to behave and not listen to two little girls yapping. So girls, my girls learned to sit up front and behave, but be on the bus with the team. Wow, it meant the world to them. It was purposeful. Robin, hair older than Allison, and when we sat on the bench, there was a guy by the name of Curtis Hall who did our statistics for us. Curtis had only one eye, and so the doctors wouldn't let him play soccer. He's a good athlete, but so he joined the team. Many of you would know Curtis Hall. <clears throat> he joined the team, and that was our manager, and he kept good statistics for me on the bench. But I said, Curtis, I need Robin to sit beside of you. She'd make her think she's doing something that she's not doing it for us at all. We'll never read those statistics, but give her a piece of paper. <clears throat> and Robin sat on the bench over there and thought she was the cat's meow. Just including them. Just including them. Randy Faulkner, Connie Faulkner did the same, Jay. We need to spend time together. We need to worship together. We need to not let our families down. I'm going to close this service. I don't think, I know, I have not been able to study this without saying, oh, ouch, Lord, I need to make some adjustments. Are you willing? Would you bow your heads before we close with a number here? Bow your heads. And do me a favor. Don't look at anybody else. Just let it be you. Just you. The bowed head today. Some of these strike a note with you, and you need to say, these need to be changed. And, and it, in some cases, it may be plain sinful practice. It may be omission. It may be commission. But if there's something there you'd say God knows David Graham I want you to pray for me before I leave here today I need to make a difference I, I, these things have got to be different with me would you bow your head would you raise your hand and I'm going to pray don't look around just lift your hands all over here there are men and women alike lifting hands here today so father you see our hearts you know the needs we have dear God let us make a difference in our world. Let us live in a way that would honor you. Thank you for the Joseph story. What a father. Thank you for the example you've left for us in your word. Help us to be doers, not just hearers, for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.